Are dents and scratches putting a dent in your day? Introducing Rogerstein Crash Repairs Adelaide, your trusted solution for automotive woes. With over two decades of expertise, Rogerstein Crash Repairs guarantees top-notch service, restoring your vehicle to its former glory in no time. From minor dings to major collisions, our skilled technicians handle it all with precision and care using state-of-the-art equipment and techniques. Rogerstein Crash Repairs saved my car. It looks brand new. Fast, friendly and reliable. I wouldn't trust anyone else with my vehicle. Don't let accidents slow you down. Visit Rogerstein Crash Repairs Adelaide at 14 Penner Avenue, Glind for quality service you can count on. And here's a special offer just for our listeners. Mention this podcast and receive a $100 discount on your repair. Roger Steen Crash Repairs Adelaide. Excellence in every repair. Past players. Past legends. Past legends. Today we're pri- privileged to have Tony Simons on the line. Simo at Glenelg, 81 to 86, 88 to 92, 225 games, 230 goals, dual premiership player in 85 and 86. And of course, with Glenelg winning the flag, it was appropriate to have a Glenelg person with us and was meant to be the last week, but Pete was crook. Also a year at Hawthorne, also coached Glenelg in 95 and 96, but a, a real fanatical Bay man. Welcome aboard, Simo. Thank you, boys. Nice to have a chat. Thanks for joining us, mate. Uh, like we do with most of our guests, we, we, we like to find out where it all started. Where, where did you play your junior footy? Who, what was your junior club? And, and, um, and, and we'll go from there. Yeah, well, I didn't really have a junior club. I went through Sacred Heart College um, for my entire schooling. And a lot of my mates went out to uh, other footy clubs, but I sort of didn't. So I sort of um, staggered my way through through school and, and Sacred Heart system and then went straight out to Galil to play under seventeens in nineteen seventy nine. Sort of straight from straight from second eighteens at Sacred Heart, never made the first. Oh wow. See so yeah. some illustrious other people in that same sort of boat. Yeah. Rick Rick Davies yeah. playing mainly yeah. thirds, uh, third eighteen at Princes and that. So yeah, yeah. and I didn't yeah. realise that, Simo. We used to talk about that, Rick and I, when <laughs> we were comparing our failures in, in at Hawthorne. We were um, we often joked about him playing second or third eighteen, and I was at, I think it was PAC. I think he was. Yes. But, um, uh, me at Sacred Heart. Yeah. So just. Couldn't crack it. I was pretty small in those days. And um, to be fair, I think the bloke who was coached on the first 18 in those days, brother Des Tuck, who was a ripper, um, was more concerned about my light frame, really, than, than playing me. So, in a way, they might have done me a favour. Who knows? Of course, at Glenelg, then, just a real... You've always been a figure at the Bay and sort of that group, you know, the Fantastic Seven, which yeah. obviously probably caused a lot of damage on Adelaide nightclubs and all that side of things. <laughs> Simo. Well, it, nearly, it nearly didn't happen. I remember playing under-17s when I just turned 17, so that was early 1979, and um, I was struggling to get a game. I'd sort of be on the bench, and 
Um, Johnny Gordon, who just died recently, yeah, yep. an old uh, uh, South Adelaide man, was yep. a ripper as well. And um, we got through to about June, and we had, only had 18 blokes fit. So I thought, well, I'm finally going to get started in the 18. <laughs> they brought two blokes back who they sacked in February and put one of them <laughs> into the side ahead of me. So I'm sort of sitting there before the game at Little Gable in tears, thinking, this is it, I've had enough, I'm going. Unfortunately, I stayed and um, bloke did a hammy and I think um, late in the first quarter, early in the second quarter, bloke called Dave Conway uh, and uh, I got a, I got on and, and played pretty well, I think more out of anger and uh, sort of held my spot for the rest of the year and under-17s and then progressed on under-19s the following year. So it was... Um, it got a bit tight at one stage about whether I'd ever survive there. Um, coming off a you know um, average career at Sacred Heart as well, but um, things started to turn. I got a bit more confidence, and you know a year or so after that, I was playing seniors, which was great. And then that group sort of really you stuck together. That real group's been very tight, mm, and mm. It really, the, still the, now. Yeah, well, the Magnificent Seven, as we coined, uh, we called ourselves, it really probably should have come from someone else, but we decided that to do. And um, Walshie and Peter Maynard and Chris Duthie and Tony McGuinness and Chris McDermott and Stephen Coonahan, it was a sort of fair group coming through. And, uh, you know, Stephen and Chris and myself were playing under-17s together in 1979, or at least early in the year before Stephen... And I think Chris both got sort of promoted up the tree a bit. And um, I remember I didn't really sort of wait for the crumbs. If Stephen was jumping for it, I'd just keep running because yeah. 19 times out of 20, he'd mark it and turn around <laughs> and you'd be 40 metres down the ground on your own. So probably a bad habit, but you, you could sort of see he was a class above and, you know, we just sort of played to his strength. So, But we were tight and... In those days, no mo- mobile phones or whatever. So if one of you was going out somewhere on a Saturday night or a, or a Sunday, you'd sort of ring one or two of the other boys and they'd ring the other guys and you'd all meet up. In those days, you had to meet at the prescribed time because no one had a phone to ring each other. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we were very, very tight and still still very close, a lot of us um, today, for sure. Well, so with that, you're on one year different with you, but with my birthday, same with you, with you being February, with me being January, I ended up sort of with that older group in front of me. Um, yeah. Did play a game, or well, I didn't make the Nord high under 13A side, uh, but against uh, Brighton where we had John Hall and Michael Palm and that, and beat yeah. and beat Brighton and Sticks kicked seven and we still won. So, yeah, really? I, I do remember yeah. that. And my they were other... hard to beat in those days, I know that, because oh. they had you know, a lot of good football. And I think Tony McGuinness had headed over there in his last year. He might have been a year younger yeah. than Chris and Stephen, but I think he was playing and they had gun sides in those days. And it's really sad now. A lot of these schools don't have a team anymore. Yeah, and with Bone, I, I've always wondered how high Bone could have gone in cricket. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a set – him and Sticks, mate – Sticks was just tall, as we know, right back then. He was actually bowled off the wrong foot. He was unorthodox yeah. as a cricketer, <laughs> where Bone was a gun keeper. And I actually yeah. filled in at a state primary school game, Pete, has made up the numbers, and Bone ran me out without facing a ball. So I've oh, always had he? that with Bone ever since. Uh, but I reckon <laughs> I'm a mile in front of the beers I've got out of that over the years because I well, certainly yeah. wouldn't have made any runs anyway. So, yeah. 
Yes. We used to play a lot of backyard cricket at the Coonahan House. Yes. Wilton Avenue there. And he was hard to face, Stephen. It was like facing a windmill and he's bowling off the wrong foot and he was quick and all that. So that, that was sort of a bit nasty back in the day. Oh, I can imagine it would have always been competitive. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Go through to So your, your league debut, league debut uh, in 81, um, uh, Simon, go through that, mate. Yeah, well, Steve Highwood was our seconds coach in those days, and we all loved the ace, and he came up to me a couple of weeks before that, sort of early June, said, there's a state game in a few weeks, we'll have a few out, and you'll be playing league football, and I'd never considered it at that stage, sort of early 1981, and um, anyway, uh, John Halbert was very good to a lot of us kids in those days, and I had reasonable skills, and Coming from where he had it stirred, he sort of liked that. So um, I think we had seven, six or seven guys on the state side, Ralph Silver, Paul Weston, uh, Cornsey, you know, Carey, Jimmy LaHue, Keith Coleman, all those yeah. folks. And um, so I got picked and uh, we played Woodville at Woodville. I stood the great Ian Detman. And oh. He was <laughs> my first opponent. He's a couple, and, of lunat- uh, couple of lunatics there. Who's who? Yeah. Yeah, he was a nasty piece of work. Looking oh, back, good no, man. He wasn't. He was good man, Dedo. Yep. These days, and um, anyway, we were down. I remember we were down at quarter time or half time. And in those days, we used to beat Woodville, you know, routinely. Um, but we got back and we beat them um, by three or four goals, I think. And then all the guys came back the following week from the state side, and I held my spot, which was just about a. A bigger thrill, really. Yeah, um, yeah, it's fair. You know, we played Sturt at Footy Park, and all those guys come back in the side, so I got a chance to play with all those guys, which was, you know, just marvellous. Looking back now, as a, a young nineteen-year-old kid, and probably fifty-eight kilos, and I'm playing with Corns <laughs> and Western and Carey, yeah. and yep, um, I think Ralph Sewell was one of them as well at the time. They sent me a telegram. I remember they sent me a telegram from my first game from Perth, all those boys, so that was nice. And then, unfortunately, my third game, I was only 19, and we had dinner at home the night before the game, and my brothers and I used to play a lot of backyard footy, even in the dark. Yeah. And um, I went out and got tangled up in the, in the the with the clothesline, playing two-on-two <laughs> two with my brothers, and landed flat on my bum, and I did my groin pretty badly, and... I could hardly walk the next day, and I had to play. We played South and Adelaide over. I, I wasn't going to tell Jack Albert what I'd done, so I played. And I only got put on the last three or four minutes of the game. And um, I went up to Jack on the Monday and said, Jack, I've done my groin, I can't play. He said, but you're only on for three minutes. So I said, no, <laughs> I didn't warm up properly, and I've, I've, I've just done a groin. And believe it or not, I missed six weeks. Um I just couldn't. I couldn't walk, let alone run. So probably shouldn't have played in the game. Missed missed six games and played the rest of the year in the twos, and we won the flag. Yeah, I was going to say you won the. Yeah, that's the flag under because mate Jamie Mason played in that. I reckon. Yeah, Mason played for sure. I've been in touch with Mason. He's overseas at the moment on a trip. You've probably seen that. So uh, he was a gun, Mason. He just struggled to sort of crack it at Galil for whatever reason, and as you know, went to. Went to North Adelaide, but uh, yeah, Mason played. He was a star back in the day, and we were lucky that year. We beat Port, I think, by a point in the grand final. There was only one goal kicked to the southern end, I think, for the whole game, and we we kicked it, you know, late in the last quarter to win the game. So 
always good beating Port. Seniors or reserves, we didn't do it much on the seniors, so we take it when we can get it. Now you're uh, doing a little bit of research. Uh, you're a wingman. Were you a dashing wingman, a traditional dashing wingman? Um, I wouldn't say I was that quick. A lot of people thought I was, but I wasn't. I had a probably regional ability to read the play a couple of steps ahead. So I'd sort of, I was pretty fit. So I'd sort of spend all day running. Uh, in those days, you tended to stand the same guy most of the game. Yes, mm-hmm. um, it was a real battle of the wingman back then. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I always thought I was fitter than most folks, so I, I sort of just run just for the sake of it, really, just because I sort of, in my own mind, the bloke on me halfway through the third quarter would start struggling and I'd still be going pretty strong. So that was always part of my plan. <laughs> Quite honestly, sometimes I'd just say to the bloke, come on, mate, let's go for a run. And the bloke would look at you and go, well, I'd say, come on, let's go. And there was no reason for it. It was just a matter of I was trying to, you yeah, know. Mind games, yeah. Yeah, mind games and run, run them down a bit. And, um, you know, normally the last quarter, and we're a good side too, you know, most of the time. So you sort of take a risk and run forward of the play a lot in those days because the game wasn't as structured as it is today. Um, so sometimes it didn't work and you'd get, you know, you'd, you'd be in strife from the coach. But most of the time you had freedom to sort of improvise a bit and make stuff happen and, you know, talking to Stephen Stretch sometimes these days and Andrew Page and some of those guys, you know, Torrens were a bit limited at the time and it was easy easy being a wingman in a good side. So you sort of tried to take advantage of it a bit. But the game was very different and, and you weren't sort of quite as accountable as you are now. I want to remember, you playing the 82 grand final, Simon? I played in the seniors in 82. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, that was a great day, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think we... Um, we come from fifth that year yeah. in the finals, and um, uh, I was on the bench a lot. I think I played um, maybe 17 games th- that year, and I reckon I was on the bench for about 12 or 13 of them. And but the game was just changing. The interchange bench had come in the previous few years, and they were starting to work out how best to use that. And um, I held my spot, you know, for the latter part of the year, and after being injured a bit earlier in the year again. And, um, uh, yeah, we, I think we got done by 10 goals by... Yeah, I was mucking around, obviously, there, Simon. I I bought out my (laughs) Nord. I did bring out my Nord bias there. Look, and I think Glenelg were a bit unlucky then too then. You only had six days on the the break after the prelim and, of course, that had been the Granger prelim and, you know, super carry. it was a big day, a big couple of weeks, the, the Granger thing and... It was a wet day that pregame, yeah. and um, um, there was a lot of pressure on. It was a hard fought game, and obviously we got over the line by a point. And then, as you know, grand final day was hot. Yeah. And I remember seeing a couple of our blokes running up and down the spot early in the second quarter, and I thought, well, that's not going to be good. But you know, at the back of my mind, I thought I'll probably, I'll probably get on early. Um, but yeah, we were, you know, struggling, and um, as you know. Six goals from a bloke called Rick Neagle. Didn't help either. Yeah, we may. We hear about that occasionally too, yeah. I think we have talked about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably, haven't probably haven't heard it today yet, but it's only one o'clock. Yeah, that must well. Plenty of, plenty of time for Neags to shove that out yet. So. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Mate, no. But a good grand final all, all the same. And, and I mean, back in the day, the the big four were alive and well, weren't they? Yeah. You know, Port and Stett, Nord and Galilg and... 
Um, you look through the grand finals at that time, and those teams were pretty re- routinely um, part of it, weren't they? Which was great. And then playing under Graham Campbell, of course. The uh, yeah, the, you know. interesting that one. Yeah, um, yeah, he's a, a different cat. Um, you know, obviously start of '83. I think we lost our first seven before he got sacked. Yeah, um, and a lot of us loved him because he was playing us and. Um, you know, we threatened to go on strike and all sorts of silly things, and the club reneged and reappointed him. And then we played South the following week and got done by eight goals again. So we lost our first eight. Eight, yeah. Um, but then got close to making the finals again, as it turned out. I think we had to win maybe two of our last three or something. I think we lost two of our last three or something. Like I think that. you but, need um, results to go your way as well on memory. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so, but we loved Graham and. Um, you know, some funny stories, you know, <laughs> strangely enough, the one that comes to mind was that was that um, the parade and the rooms were a bit funny in those days. And it was sort of a uh, the away room had sort of another room attached to it and you couldn't really see what was in there. And Graham, Graham was sure Nord had their spies in there <laughs> and that they were listening to the pre-match. So when, when he pulled the, the, the blanket off the whiteboard with the team on there, he read the team out. Christian names only. Oh my god! <laughs> so yeah, it was Tony and Stephen and Christopher <laughs> and uh, Wayne and Alan, and, and we're sitting there, honestly, trying try not to laugh. Yeah. <laughs> and he and he used to eat a lot of apples, and if you were sitting too close to him at the time, you were getting bits of the apple and all sorts of stuff was going on. And he's reading the team out, thinking that Nord are listening, and. We and before we ran out one of these games, he, I remember him saying, "And don't forget Neville Roberts. He's a bit like double oh seven. He's got a license to rhyme uh, to roam. He's double oh nine. <laughs> Jeez, uh, Rocky will love that. I'll bring yeah, that up with him. Yeah, yeah. I remember, never forget him saying. It. We're running out like laughing. Oh. So um, it sort of didn't go all that well at times. We we loved him, but uh, probably wasn't ideal and. In a, in a lot of respects, and at the end of the day, the club made a call on him at the end of '84, and you know, fortunately, probably appointed Studley, which was a great move and probably the move we needed to try to discipline us a bit. And I do have to bring up one quick game with you, with, with you, Simo. At Glenelg in '83, Pete set the scene for you. The legs are the legs are up. It's the last quarter. Glenelg are coming. Nord have come in the ball out of defence. Uh, error. There's a kick out on the full, so it's you know, Glenelg's free. Mm-hmm. The Nord guys have run ahead of the ball. Jeff Wilson's marked the ball. I'm sitting next to him in the in the crowd at Glenelg. Simo's trying to grab the ball off Jeff, and we're yelling at the Nord guys, come back, pick, you know, McDermott up, pick. <laughs> uh, and Simo's going, give us the fucking ball. And, uh, and yeah, so I, was a, I don't know if you can remember that, Simo, but I did I, say to I Jeff I'd remember, bring that up. I remember there was two blokes who wouldn't give me the ball yeah. on, the far side, on the far side. Far side, side correct, goal, yep. And I just wanted to get hold of it and get it on because I think we were down at the time or the game was close. And uh, you, you didn't do anything that I wouldn't have done myself, I can tell you that, because the game was in the balance and it was important to get it on. But I, I do remember it and I remember swearing and that wasn't a nice thing to do in front of young people <laughs> and kids, but you had to do what you had to do. Oh, it was a <laughs> bit of fun. It showed the you, tribal warfare. 
you, exactly. You, you boys were uh, truly the nineteenth man on that occasion. Oh, we were directing the, traffic, yeah, holding onto the yeah, ball. Yeah, Chavo, get back yep. there. Get, yeah, don't, don't worry, it was full on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, uh, I love all that stuff. It was, um, you know, in a, a, a different world, and no one got offended. And, no, you know, no. it was a bit. It was just part of the game, really. And you, you walked off afterwards, and you moved on. So what, better days, really, boys. What What were some of the crowds like back then? Because you know, we oh, we, we sort of sensational. We, we forget about it these days because we don't see how. Um, some of the grounds were, were were full to capacity at stages, but what was it like playing in front of a you know home home crowd at Glenelg there with a packed stadium? Yeah, I used to just really love it. Like you'd wake up Saturday mornings, you were playing footy, which is what you sort of lived for in those days. You'd get there early to watch the reserves play and get yourself prepared. You you had a routine. There was always a lot of people around, and it sort of you, you felt bigger than Texas running out onto the ground and, you know, you'd play games at Footy Park, you know, minor round games and there'd be 17, 18, 20,000 people yeah. there. Um, and it was just incredible. You'd go back to the club and the club would be chock-a-block oh. full with people and um, it was just hard, hard to explain. A bit like playing AFL footy these days in Adelaide to Port or the Crows where... Everyone knew you or knows you, and um, you got sort of looked after. It was a bit like that, not to the same degree, of course, but um, there was a lot of benefits. Everyone seemed to know you if you went to buy a pasty or a, a sandwich. You know, the boat people would talk football with you. And, you know, one of the guys who owned one of the snack bars around from where I worked in the bank at Brighton there, he was a mad Nord man. And if, oh, he's a good man, yep, yep. Yeah, he was a good man. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, you'd sort of think after the game, you'd be in the showers after the game, slumped on the ground because you'd lost thinking about the week ahead. And you felt like you couldn't even go to the snack bar to get your lunch because you couldn't put up with the grief you are going to get from this guy. And... It was just everywhere. Yeah. Adelaide was consumed by it, and um, I really, really loved it. Oh, but, Simon, I think, let's go, you know, those days, it was very much, we'd all, quite often everyone would run into each other at Sam's on the Saturday night, yeah. and if we didn't yeah. see it at Sam's on the Saturday night, you'd be at the Bay Disco on the Sunday night, yeah, and then yeah, exactly. and then Le- and then Lenny. So anything what had happened amongst the players, it was all yeah. sorted out by Sunday night, and that yeah. was over and done with. And yeah, well, ninety percent of the blokes you'd meet, as you know, would be great blokes, and you know we're all a bit different on the ground, and we all had our nuances, I suppose. And some people, you know, more physical than others, and some people are smart with their mouth and whatever. But not, you know, nine times out of ten, you'd meet those blokes and and take it home, have a quick drink and one drink might turn into more. And yes. Thing you, know, yes. you know, there'd be 30 bikes from four or five different footy clubs in the, the back corner of Galil yeah. having a laugh on a Sunday night and thinking, should, should better get out of here, got to go to work tomorrow and train tomorrow night. So, and it didn't matter if you were a player or a supporter, you know, like obviously I'd known you – know, just purely yeah. Eagle and Hill guys, because I'd known, known Bone and Sticks through cricket at 12, so I'd come over and say hello, and it was everyone, everyone knew each other. It was, yeah. You know, no, of course. It was a great and, days. Um, you know, we, um, you know, we had some, <laughs> some massive nights yes. there over the years, and the odd night where the club, someone from the club would ring Cornsey at midnight on a Sunday night and say, you better get down to the club and get those boys out of there, because... <laughs> 
I think Harry had told the security guards they weren't allowed to touch us back in the days, and we sort of knew that and uh, probably a bit arrogant about it. But when we saw Graham walk in at half past 11, quarter to 12 on a Sunday night, we knew it was time to go. <laughs> Fair call. Mate, before we move on, I'm, I'm sure um, Malcolm's itching to start asking you about your AFL, but you didn't no, mind. 85 you, and 86. 85, yeah. 86. Yes. But yep. you didn't mind a sausage roll, 230 goals uh, in 225 games. Uh, that's a uh, very, very good effort, mate. Well, I didn't believe in passing it once you run an inside 50. <laughs> I, I just couldn't see any sense in that whatsoever. And I actually tell a funny story. Um, uh, John Seabone was playing full forward uh, for one day at Footy Park. And I, I'd known Steve since he'd come down to Glenelg in the early mid, uh, sorry, late mid seventies with Mike Armfield, who was my cousin. And um, Steve's was playing full four, and I was running along the boundary line at the northern end on my left foot. And in those days, you didn't have to centre it; you'd just about have a shot all the time. And I've kicked a left foot check sider on the run, and somehow or other it went through. And everyone's running around, and we didn't high five in those days. It was just a pat on the ass and yep. well done, and all the rest of the blokes saying great kick. And Steve's walked out from full forward and said, "Yeah, well, I didn't need bloody lead, but I knew you wouldn't pass the bastard anyway." So <laughs> they, he was my favourite grumpiest teammate. He's, you know, he was right. I wasn't going to pass it, and he just let me know in an understated manner, but different. Once again, different area. You could get away with it. Bloody good player too, John Sebo. Very yeah. quietly efficient. Uh, you know. He played 300-something yeah. games and yeah. um, came down as a full forward, but you always knew at centre-half back he'd punch from behind if he marked it. Yeah. He'd just start running wide, and on that left foot he'd kick it 55 metres to you and, and lace it out. So it was just so fortunate. We just had such a star-studded side in, in a lot of ways. So... Yeah, I didn't mind getting on the end of it, boys, and having to stop the goal, that's for sure. So now the glory years of 85, 85 and 86, and you, you, the real North Glenelg era, really, of 85, 86, 87, yeah. and, you know, had Glenelg, you'd lost, obviously, a lot of finals, and, you know, particularly grand finals and that, but, yeah, yeah. go through the glory times there, mate. Yeah, well, we a lot of the boys, Stephen and Chris McDermott and um, Tony McGuinness all played in the 81 losing grand yeah. final. And then we all played in 82 and lost. Um, and sort of then I think Peter Kerry, uh, 83 we didn't make, 84, Peter Kerry got suspended yeah. um, in the finals, I think, against Central. Central, we, yeah. We lost those two games in a row from there. Well, yeah, um, and at the preliminary... For, um, for attempted striking. Attempting striking, which was yeah. Yeah, crazy. And, and and then the prelim final, at one stage, Glenelg were... I reckon you were two goals fourteen at one stage in that prelim against yeah. Nord. So yeah, it was you're right. it was a bit of a You're crazy right. game that that day. I remember as well. looking at um, Peter Carey was on the bench sitting there, and he's looking at me in the last quarter like do something, do something. And I'm looking at him going, mate, I'm trying. I could just see him pleading mm. um, to get us over the line. And of course, it it didn't happen. So that really stung us a bit and it probably hurt Graham Campbell more because it probably cost Graham Campbell yeah. a job. Yeah. Um, and you could argue whether that was right or wrong at the time. Um, but 85, um, for some reason or other, don't remember being nervous. In those days, you drove yourself to the game and yeah, listened to your own right. music and you had your car there, you weren't in a bus or anything. And I just remember rolling up. It was a nice warm day thinking, we're going to win. I'm going to play well. Um, 
let's go. So there was no nerves or whatever. And I remember feeling the same way in 86, just thinking North were, you know, reasonably warm favourites in 86. But I just don't remember ever thinking that we were going to lose, even though I think it was 85, we were down by nearly five goals early in the second quarter. Yeah, the, um, where, Robert, where Robertson bounced the ball in that poured pocket yeah. running to the... Um, Lake Southern uh, End. Southern End, yeah, and it bounced yeah. away from him, yeah. Yeah, we all talked about that a lot in the days afterwards because our blokes were right under the pump and they had so much of the ball and our back line was chasing all the time. Remember Wayne Stringer and Chris Duthie chasing Robbo and Robbo sort of bounced it over his shoulder um, and then almost still got it back and somehow or other Wayne laid a tackle and Duthie got it out of there and I think Kimmy Hosman ended up kicking it. I haven't seen it for years, but Tony Hall might have got on the end of it. And it, you know, instead of us being thirty-five points down, I think we went down and kicked the goal. It was twenty-three yeah. points. So, and I do remember standing on the wing, on the grandstand wing, looking at it when we were twenty-nine points down. I think David Tiller kicked the goal, and I looked down forward line. I thought, well, Kernahan hasn't hardly had a touch yet. Stephen Copping hasn't had a touch yet, I, I remember thinking we'll still win. Okay. Which I don't know why, probably youthful exuberance back in the time, back in the day, but I really remember thinking that. And um, I think we went in at half-time two goals up after being five goals down, you know, the 10-minute mark or something. So and that was pretty much the ball game. And we kicked a, a goal early in the third quarter, which... It just made us all feel like, yeah, it's going to be our day. So, um, well, you're two pretty fair targets to kick to, like, you know, Kernan, we know he's one of the all time greats, but uh, but copping Inspector Gadget arms, which you know, they seem just yeah. to never go stop. And he always marked the ball at the highest height, so he played That's tall, right. he played he tall. He, he, he was a very, very good player. And we had Adam Garton down there, too. Yeah, I think Adam right. Garton might have kicked four in the grand final in '85. And he was probably getting the third best defender, you know, um, back in those days. Yeah. Which gave, gave him a real chance. And, um, you know, the Stringer boys sort of toughened us up a bit. And Scotty Shaw's been big Wayne, Hen- <laughs> Wayne Henwood sort of running around grunting at people. And um, he was just a man mountain. And good. I remember him ragdoll and um, Michael Redden. And Michael Redden was a champion bloke and a champion football and strong, but not half as strong as Wayne Henwood was. So we sort of had, you know, an incredible team. And, and probably looking back to lose Kernahan and McGuinness at the end of that grand final, still win it the following year yeah. as underdogs was probably even a, a greater achievement in some respects. 